Hello and welcome to the Healthy Entrepreneur Club podcast. A healthy entrepreneur is someone who achieves business success whilst prioritising their physical and mental well-being. In other words, they understand the healthy hustle. They possess the ability to effectively manage their business operations, make strategic decisions and nurture their personal health and brand for sustainable growth and long-term success. My guest today is Sean Hanneth, founder and CEO of Gemflow, the world's leading creator agency responsible for producing some of the world's best known faces, such as KSI, Logan Paul, Chris Williamson, Iman Gadzi, Mike Thurston, and Grace Beverly. Sean left his job in 2014 to pursue his own business and in 2020 was named the UK's Entrepreneur of the Year. Sean, it's great to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Good, man. Busy day. But I love it. I love every second of it. That's amazing to hear. I want to start by jumping in and giving you this proposition. It's 25 years ago. You're sleeping on a straw bed in Moulton, Pakistan. What do I need to know about your past to understand who you are today? Yeah, I guess just some context. I was born in the UK, lived there till I was about five. Then I moved to Pakistan, where my parents are from. I moved back there because my parents are doctors. They wanted to build their own hospital. And uh, so I guess, yeah, they, they did that and I was a baby, so I went along. And um, so I, and I ended up living with my mom's family uh, in my granddad's house. There probably was 20 of us in one house. And my dad lived in a different city because that's where he got his job. So I'd see him on the weekends. So yeah, I guess those days till now, like... I think it's just uh, appreciating like what you have because coming from electricity going two days a week to we didn't we were brought brought up by this thinking of like you don't go outside to like eat out or do stuff or whatever it was seen as like bad because there's this I guess growing up in a humble way all that stuff is like you know like McDonald's is like on your birthday just to put into context so I guess what that's brought me to it, I guess just um, the understanding that today when something is hard or tough for a normal person, like it just doesn't even phase me mentally because they have not really seen tough. For them, tough is someone left some comment on Instagram or the way they felt because their mom said something to them or someone didn't call them. Like it's so nothing that I guess from where I come from or the upbringing I had, and I still had an amazing upbringing. I have no bad memories of it. But yeah, in hindsight, looking back, like I remember we didn't have tissue papers in a tissue box. The tissue boxes were like expensive. So we would buy like a big pack of tissues and we would fold them and put them in a tissue box to then have a tissue box. And such a weird thing to say out loud. But yeah, I guess just going through that stuff as a young age. And when you're young, yeah, I was loving it. It, I think it just gives you perspective in a different way. That in the West, you are born with this like, you know, um, I guess everything is amazing, really. But then you create lots of things mentally to be like, that's not good enough. or that's not. And then it brings you down. So I think seeing those sort of base level stuff hasn't affected me in the same way. And that's probably part of the reason I've managed to do what I've managed to do, do in life. So yeah, it comes a lot from upbringing. And I moved back to the UK when I was 11 years old. So I guess I was there for almost seven to eight years in Pakistan, living in my grand, granddad's house. 
So yeah, very different to other people. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think they gave you a level of resilience that other people wouldn't necessarily have, which you've been able to bring into entrepreneurship and your ventures that you've, you've gone through? I think it's just um, resilience, yes. It would bring understanding that when you're onto something, that this is a real thing and ex- understanding that. Because where I see a lot of conversations about burnout and all this stuff, and the reason that's never affected me, and I'm not a big believer in it at all, because you should be happy that you're in this situation. And most people don't realize that ever. Um, I say this to my uh, employees all the time. If you earn more than 50,000 pounds, you're in the top 5% of the UK in terms of earning salary. But people are so entitled what they should get more and I'm just come from the background of like, it's crazy to be even getting that much that then your perspective just changes um, and you start to enjoy it more. So I think, yeah, it's, it's not, I think it's resiliency is always just like, I'm up for it Yeah. because of not having it or seeing way less basically in life. Yeah. So you're almost coming at it with the perspective of everything above that is incredible and amazing and, and could also be taken away at any point because you've seen the other side of it, right? Whereas other people, it reminds you of like literally this time last year, we were talking about quiet quitting and doing the least you possibly can to get through a job. And actually it's nice and refreshing to hear you talk about, well, everything's actually incredible. And that gives you a zest for life when you wake up in the morning, that fire to, to really start you going. You know, I've, that's, uh, to be honest, I've never been a believer of a morning routine, mm. meditations, nothing. I just wake up. For the very first thing I would do is look at my phone. I love looking at my phone. I'm not running away from my phone. Um, it's, it's okay because I want to do that. I choose to do that. Just all this content that I see online, maybe it works for other people. That's fine. For me personally, just putting it out there, like it's before bed, the very last thing I would do is be checking my emails and messages, whatever. If that takes me 20 minutes, 30 minutes, maybe even an hour, it's cool. Cause I want to do that. Mm. Then when I wake up in the morning, it's the same thing again. Again, it's okay. Cause I want to do that. And I don't, I don't understand why other people aren't like that. Because it's your life and you're choosing to do that stuff. So I actually had this conversation with Sam, who, who we know. He said to me, maybe he wouldn't like me talking about this, but he was going away for a week and he goes to me, um, I'm not going to be on Slack, which is a obviously a messaging thing for work. And we talk through there. And I was like, why? I go, it's your business. What do you mean you're not going to be away from Slack? He's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's just so much stuff is going on. That's just like dragging me down. I don't want to look at it. So I was like, right, okay, so that's the real problem. You have some things you need to sort out and you just want to ignore it and not look at Slack because I'm on holiday. I'm like, you're a business owner. There is no, you can't look at it. It's like your child. How can you be for a week? I'm just going to ignore it. And then in a week, I'll deal with the problems. Mm. And really, you should deal with the problems, sort them out, then go on holiday and enjoy yourself and still open Slack and love it. Mm. And that's the thing that people get wrong. It's like, if something is wrong, you should be fixing it. So I fix things like immediately in life, in general, relationships. If you have to remove someone from the company, friends, it's the same thing. Because like, why are you leaving the decision that needs to be made that you know needs to be made? You're not making it. Um, So it comes from that same kind of like thinking overall. Are you a believer that you would get up in the morning and do almost the hardest thing of your day straight away to sort of get it out the way? Because why not? Why not do the hardest thing first? Is that a similar vein? Is that how you work? No. To be honest, no. Um, I guess I would start most of my days in a very similar way, which would be some form of exercise because I love exercising um, as a thing. To be honest, I'll I'll 
It's interesting. Yeah, I've seen people say that. I think for me personally, I will go through wherever I need to do. I'll just start doing it. There's no harder thing. Like very last night, I'm working on a concept of what if we were to buy normal talent agencies and bring them into GenFlow? Mm. How can we help them sell way more? Because a normal talent agency just does like brand deals. Um, we can do multiple things for creators. So yeah, talking about the very hardest thing. I was doing that last night from 11 p.m. to like 1 a.m. I then called my chairman at that time and we went through the numbers <laughs> and that was very hard. It was tiring and I was like, I need to sleep. So no, I think, yeah, just, I just, it's just a case of you get up and you start doing as much as you can in the day and day finishes mm. and then you do it again. So it's that success mentality, isn't it? Of like, I'm just going to get the stuff done that my passion and my purpose drives me towards because then I'm going to achieve something. I think I agree with you in a, in a sense that, you know, I'm not a big believer in morning routines either because some of these morning routines are like three hours long. And I think a morning routine or a business should be something that you can do for 50 years, not for not for a year. If it's really hard and you're doing all this stuff and it takes a lot of time and you're missing out on things in your business or in just the morning routine itself, how are you going to keep doing that? If you don't want to keep doing that, or you don't love it. I, I believe that it wouldn't. Be I would say I disagree with that. Okay, go on. Because I think that's the thing that people actually get wrong. Sure. You have to accept the fact that right now what's happening in my life, I need to do this properly and not be so concerned with, yeah, of course, the how much I currently am putting effort in. Could I put the same amount of effort in for the next 50 years? Probably not. But you have to recognize opportunity and jump on it. Mm. It's like being a boxer. You won't be like, I'm only boxing for 50 years. So it doesn't matter. I'll just fight once every four years. I'll just take it easy. I'll only train a couple of days. For me, entrepreneurship is a lot like a sport. There's some years where you have got the right thinking and the market's there and it's your time. You need to double down on that. Like, you know, I have a, you know, I'm married. I have a daughter. I probably, I say this all the time to other couples. Like, have you ever sat down? I've sat down with my wife and said, next five years, going to be insanely hard work, but we're probably going to build generational wealth that our kids will have shit that we could never even imagine on the lives would be like, or the impact they could make. But that's the decision. That means we're probably gonna, um, I probably have to work some weekends. That means we probably take less holidays than an average couple. That means we won't go to that many family events or whatever, but it's the decision between us. And we're like, okay with it, happy with it. So yeah, let's do it. Cause the achievement of that alone is so big and so hard and so rewarding that it's worth chasing. So I think so many young entrepreneurs are so bothered about getting the perfect day set up, et cetera. That's going to be forever, but you're playing a forever game and you like should be focusing on the now. So I say to you, even like we have reviews in the company for employees and stuff. I'm like, what is the thing you're trying to win with now? People want to win life, but just win this year first. Like what's the win? What's a true win? How are you going to think? So I think that's what I'm fascinated with. People say to me, what's your five year plan? And I say, I have no idea. My, at the moment, my only, as far as I can think, is Black Friday. I need to make it the biggest I've ever done in my life. Nothing else matters to me. I'm not thinking in five years what I'll be doing, mm. where the company's going to be, what's my vision, what am I truly trying to build. Like, I'll get there. Because that's how I got right here. People are more bothered about that stuff. And I call it that stuff because it's absolutely useless to the present, in my opinion. Mm. And everyone around me that's successful too, it's because you're solving the problem right in front of you. Hence why, if someone stops everything and tries to build themselves an audience today, that's probably the greatest thing they can do for themselves or their family because the easiest way to make money, 
the only way really to tangibly make money with your own control, because if you literally just have to speak on camera and make something, make content, get people interested, build a business at the back of it, why are you not doing that today? In 10 years, you'll be like, oh, I should have done it. Mm. Just like when the internet first came and people that made websites, you know, they, they are the billionaires of today, fundamentally, because they were first. And um, it, there's countless people um, that, have done, that have done that. So yeah, that, that's, I'm more of a now person, very in the now person. Do you think it's that ferocity that's allowed you to hit or jump on the trends that were happening at the time? So we spoke about Gemflow, we'll move on to it shortly that it was something that potentially it was the right time, right? People were looking at uh, influencers, influencers was kind of a new term. People were doing brand deals, but no one was building businesses off the back of it. And ownership was a big thing that you found. Do you think if you'd have looked at, well, in 10 years, I want in 2025, Gemflow to be doing this, you would have lost that ferocity to attack what was happening in that absolute time? 100%, 100%. Now that's interesting. You have to attack what's in front of you so like the money on the table, You've got to take the money on the table first. People are so worried about the rest. So yeah, I think, yeah, in hindsight, when I look back, I'm like, I could have done this better, that better, that better now. But in that moment, I just chased what was in front of me. So I'll give an example. When it was 2016, 17, we started helping creators sell content behind a paywall. It was very new. It did very, very well. And the truth is at that time, if I did started managing creators, I probably would have managed some of the bigger people in the world, biggest people in the world now. But at that time, I chased what was in front of me, which was this idea of you can sell content. Nobody's even thought about this. I can run fast at this and make it a success. And I did. But yeah, I missed other things by doing that. And maybe because I didn't have this grand vision or whatever. But because of it, that's skewed. Like anyone can write in five years, I want to be here. But you don't know where the market's going to be. And that's why most businesses around I've seen, and to be honest, 99% of businesses that are formed when we started have all failed because they got that wrong. They were on some mission to build something when the market is just going somewhere else. And you don't, I'm in a nascent market, meaning the market's developing as we're doing it. And I ultimately, you have to be adapting to that. So if you just solve what's in front of you and just win at that, you'll always be one step ahead because everyone else is so bothered about what's coming, not about the now. I'm even like that with opportunities so right now like i'm pitching some massive creators and it's all about what can we do right now with this person that's going to work right now that's just the way that we think i think um i don't know when you're going to air this but we're just launching a productivity drink with um chris williamson and james smith i have equity in it as well we're doing it as partners oh cool and um that's the same thing right now what's the biggest opportunity People are so focused on productivity, personal growth, self-growth. Um, nootropics is this obviously new thing that's come in. People are not so understanding what it is it. And the idea was, can we combine the two of them and us and everything we know? And can we launch, hopefully, a massive business? And it's a week or two away. And um, it's just that right now, that's the opportunity. Chris's podcast is doing absolutely amazing. We can put it on every single uh, episode. He's just been filming um, this week and it's, we got it on the table and all that stuff. So yeah, I think that's most people get wrong in business. Like just focus on making money, mm. basically. I think it's really interesting. And it's actually really refreshing to hear that because you don't often hear that that point of view, right? You know, you hear someone go, well, I did this. I was, I trained really hard. I, I did this morning routine and over time it worked. And actually it's interesting to hear you go, well, if you're just ferocious from day one and focus on one thing, and you do it for a long period of time, it works. What I want to ask you is, what did you need to do 
to have the knowledge in 2015 to be able to launch that. So what were the failures or the learnings you needed to do? You mentioned earlier when you were 11, right? And you, you know, I know when you were 11, you started entrepreneurship, you started selling, you know, games at school and you moved through a number of different things like becoming a, you know, Amazon, eBay bestseller. And I want to know what you had to learn to get to the point to go, right, Gemflow or Nom Nom was the idea. Then Gemflow became this, this behemoth. What did you have to go through? I think for me, I'm always proving to myself that my hypothesis that I've come up with in my head is true or false. That That's literally it. Um, for everything I've ever done, and I'll say to anyone listening as well, like that's all you need to do. Because it's the thing that you've thought about and you have to then, it will then push you to basically learn the skill to then be able to then actually physically carry it out. For instance, Back in those days, it was like, can I make an app? Okay, learn how to code. I can do it. Be um, because apps were such a big thing. I was like, if I just made an app, surely it would just work because the app store is new. iPhone is new. It's always the, I see the opportunity and it's like, I can solve this problem and I just have to do it. And I think for me, it's that chase of doing and proving to myself that I can do it. Is, is the biggest thing and that naturally results in money the rest or whatever and the work ethic and the resiliency and all of that just comes with that naturally and that's why again what i understand from other people is like people stop before getting to that inflection point of knowing to yourself can i do it or not so yeah i guess in those early days i left mm -hmm. my job i had to prove to myself that i can actually build a business so there was just no stopping right and Money is the way you define success very easily in a business. Like, am I making money? Yes or no. And is it growing? Yes or no. And it's very tangible and easy to know that, to know if the thing I'm doing is working or not. And you've got to be honest with yourself. So many entrepreneurs are like living in a false sense of I'm doing something which I like, means something to me. It's having an impact, all this stuff, but the numbers aren't there, which means it's not really a business. So I think for me, yeah, it's always just proving to myself if I can do something, mm -hmm. that that's my focus. I think it's really cool. You're talking about the valley of despair, which whatever we taught someone, it's the same thing. Right? People don't, they sort of underestimate what they can do in the long term and overestimate what they can do in the short term. They come down this, this slope where they get to the valley of despair. Where they're like, should I keep going or should I change? And you just, if you keep going a little bit, you'll just start to see that effect, start to rise. And the work that you're putting in, the consistency, like you say, will happen. You mentioned there that you you went you quit your job, right? And I want to take everyone on this journey with us. So you had the the uh, the businesses, you had pressure from your parents to go to university, and this is where it sort of intertwines. What you do, I can really relate to. I had the exact same thing: pressure to go to university, study something, and then come out and go into a corporate job, right? And then you get that feeling of I can do more. I think I can do more than this. I, this can't be it for the rest of my life. How did you know, or what was the, the manifestation that happened where you went, I can actually come out of this and do something better? And what was the pressure like? I think I actually never had the thing of that I can do better because I already knew I, I am better. Mm. And I guess there's an ego way of thinking, mainly because growing up, again, going back to even the last thing we just spoke about, I, I've always been the person that I'm looking for the smart option. So my, my friends are working in Argos and Blockbuster making five pounds an hour. I'm like, 
that does not sound like the right thing to do or the smartest thing to do. There must be another way to make more money. Okay, I'll buy and sell things on eBay. And you're right, like thinking back to it now, there's a very different way of thinking in that moment. But I'm just like, surely I can't stand there for five pounds an hour and do that. And that's good. For some reason, my brain just doesn't think that's good. Because I'm like, arbitrage of time. Mm. If I just sat and sold stuff, I'll be able to make more money. I think I always want to beat the rest in terms of they're doing that, I'll come up with something better. And I think even afterwards with the job, it was the same thing. So even though I'd been and did my job and I wanted to get my qualification in being an accountant and I did it, even there I was one of the youngest people in the UK to become an accountant. I passed all my exams first time for ACCA, which is extremely tough. Mm. Doing advanced taxation papers and stuff is, I wouldn't uh, wish on anybody. Um... But it was the same thing. So I think it wasn't the thing of, I knew I can do better than sitting here in that job, sorry. One of the things that I was quite lucky with is that the jobs, uh, sorry, our clients at the accounting firm are mainly like startups. So I would go and sit with CEOs and I would leave thinking, there's nothing about that company or person that I can't do, I wouldn't be able to do, or I, I, I want to do. I think that was the other drive, just because seeing other people who are in a scenario where they have their own business, I'm like, there's nothing to it. So I guess when it came to the pressure of leaving, I had no pressure of leaving from within. The pressure was mainly external saying, what are you doing? This is the wrong thing. You're giving up a good job, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the pressure within, I think the reason I managed to leave my job and I was living in a nice apartment, gave it up, moved into a six bedroom house with six other people. There were two mouse in my room. Um, but I still was never like, oh, my days, what am I doing? This is never going to work. It just, no, I honestly just sat in that room for six months just working and I was enjoying it. Like, and I think my, my, it just, again, the thinking is different. It's like, I don't think negative, if that makes sense, right? Because the negative thing would be, oh, shit, it's not going to work. What am I going to do? It's all going to fail, etc. I'm just like, I can't wait to sit and do this. And it obviously is going to work. And I guess I had success with selling online. So I guess I just believe in myself. It's probably the other way to say it. Well, I love that. And this is what I want to touch on because I think a lot of people, and maybe you're going to say this is something that's more of a modern thing that we're talking about because it's a similar thing to the sort of, you know, morning routines being really big at the moment. It's imposter syndrome. So, you know, imposter syndrome is something that a lot of people suffer with, especially when they're, they're starting up. But also as they grow and obviously you get bigger and bigger businesses. So my question's around, you know, when you were growing Gemflow, we'll move to Gemflow rather than going to Nom Nom. Yeah. How did you cope or did you experience imposter syndrome at all? You know, now as it sits here as a hundred million dollar plus business, or do you feel as though you've deserved it and you know it and it's it's yours and there's no reason to have that that feeling of this is a bizarre thing for me to be running? I guess in what, what terms do you mean imposter syndrome? Well, where you feel like maybe... Why is this happening to me? Why have I done everything here that I deserve to be running this? You know, why are people not asking someone else's advice? Why are they asking mine? To be honest, I've never had that thought in my whole life. <laughs> to be honest, like, no, because I'm, I'm the best. That's literally it. You have to think like that. I feel like I could advise the prime minister on what to do or whatever. So my biggest skill is I am the best at if there's a situation going on, what's the solution? I'm that guy. I'm the best problem solver in my business. And that's why some of the biggest creators in the world work with me. Because I say I see the solution before others and I say it out loud. 
I say it out loud in environments where people don't want to say it. And so yeah, I've never had that thought ever. Um, it's always the thing of, if I'm completely honest, is what I'm missing out on because we're too slow. Or it's, even now, it's the missed opportunity that probably, if I was to say what keeps me up at night, is the thing we're missing out on. Not what I've already got or what I've done or any of that thinking. It's the what if. Mm. Yeah. So you're always looking at what the next thing is. How much effort do you and your team put into analyzing and research and development of what the next thing is going to be that you can exploit and help the the clients you have with? How much time and effort do you put into that? Yeah, I think quite a bit. I think it's um, with our existing creators that we work with, um, there's lots of opportunity with them in itself. And then we look at it from a category point of view or a sector point of view. Um, but yeah, that's the interesting thing that I like to chase. Because it's like when I was young, I'm looking at eBay's this new thing, I need to do mm-hmm. it. So very similar to today, yes. So if any new emerging tech to emerging sectors, super interested in like, okay, how can we enter this space? What can we do? Like right now, streaming is killing it. You got massive streamers like I won't say names, but and it's making me think like, how do we get in that space? Because obviously, in streaming, you get paid from the streaming platform, but there must be other ways to monetize too. So yeah, I guess that's just my problem. Is my downtime isn't is all this stuff? I'll just sit and watch people's content. I, I'm like I love this stuff. So like, it's not work. You you are you are learning at all times. So I'll be watching random YouTubers to just see how they deliver content, how they speak. Wow, the video was like this. That's quite interesting. Like, it's just having an analytical way of thinking. That's why, again, the whole idea of disconnecting is like, why would I want to disconnect? Because I want to keep learning. Mm. Um, and you can still enjoy something like a piece of content and still be watching it at the same time and being like, 42 minutes video. That's interesting. How come they're doing that long when most people are posting a 10 minute video these days on YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It's really interesting to see how you, you sort of keep your foot down, but obviously you must have some sort of way of balancing that out and looking after yourself. It's interesting you touch on data. I, I love data as well. And I think looking at insights is so important in, you know, big business, small business, literally anything you're doing. I'd love to hear a bit about Genlytics and how you came up with the idea to, to really take Gemflow to another level and how important it is to be able to have that extra data that no one else has on, you know, the audiences and creators that you're working with. Yeah, I guess um, for context, obviously, as the business was growing, one of the first problems we're going to encounter is, right, like, who should we work with? Who's worth investing our time in, being there's so many creators? And in those days, still, we're at a time where creators have kind of gone big because they were first a lot of static content. It's then realizing who are the ones that's going to, I guess, have the connection with their audience and how do we define that? So I guess from a data point of view, we the idea was there's got to be a way programmatically to look at something. Again, I've always been into, I guess, let's call it maths. I did A-level maths and then doing accounting. So numbers is something I've naturally been good at. My team is very good at and we have in-house tech, my CTO, etc. So it just became, a again, a questioning. It's like a thing to solve. Why does this girl sell? this much and this girl doesn't sell this much we work with both of them they both have very similar look and feel or whatever there's got to be something so you dig deeper okay she has 75 percent same country following and she only has 25 percent interesting and from there you keep scraping away and you realize there's some patterns that if you can build an audience of people just like you you'll have the most way of selling and that's just the truth same for me brand people come and follow me the most 
because that's the natural thing that's going to happen on social media. If I was to sell something, most likely brand people will buy it the most. And that's just what data shows us. So I guess what we do now is, yes, through all the social media platforms, we can pull everyone's data. There's lots of third-party APIs as well that uh, you can get data. So we can very easily, I can search any creator in the world and figure out, is the audience good or bad? And what we calculate internally, which is our IP, is like what's the, how much is an, the audience worth? So how much is a follower worth mm. if we were to start working with them in different capacities? So if they were to sell content, what's that worth? Or is it a brand? Or is it this? And that gives us direction into who we want to work with and the opportunity that lies with that person. Obviously, for us to then acquire that person and get a deal done with them is a whole separate thing. But I guess it's kind of like scouting, like in sports, you know, people scout, people look at how fast does someone run and all the stats. It's kind of like that. Because ultimately, that's what it is. The things you can't do is like the um, qualitative stuff. So that's quantitative data. Yeah. Qualitative stuff is then delivery on camera, how they speak, work ethic. So there's other stuff that comes at the back of it. One of the creators I started working with on recently, he was on 400K in March. We've just hit 3 million. He's posted every single day. Five months, he's done a live Instagram live every single day. Then some people, they will do the work ethic, which mm -hmm. comes, he had the data, everything was perfect. He's going in the right way. But then he puts the work ethic on top of it and 400K to 3 million in a matter of six months. Um, it just shows like anyone can be a creator. Anyone can do this. It's the biggest opportunity we're going through in our lifetime. And it's crazy to me, even right now, there's people in this room, you should be doing everything to grow your audience. You're like, kids will thank you. Mm. Because uh, you missed out the time, or the golden time. You don't understand the stuff that we do. Like, teenagers are making millions. One of my, she paid for her mom's divorce, abusive wow. dad. Um, I've had so, we have so much amazing stuff happens when people change their lives. And it all comes from producing content. So... Yeah, I'm just, I love what I do for that reason. As corny as it sounds, like people who do start to create content, which is seen upon as like, mm, you know, do I really want to do that? It's not for me. I just want to set up my business. I'm going to be a consultant. I want to be a coach. I'm going to do it that way. Yeah, but the only way you're ever going to get customers is through marketing. And by, if you had a larger audience, you would just make more money. There's just, there's no difference about it it is the only way to be successful in business is through marketing you have to get customers right even for apple or whoever anyone in the world has to pay to get customers so that's why i'm just so much of a believer in it i just think it's it's the way i think it's awesome the, the, the creator you're talking about there i think we've watched him go from about probably we caught him at about nine hundred thousand and watched him go to three million it's quite amazing what how it works and how the work ethic like you say it does play a big part of it and you mentioned earlier entrepreneurial athletes and, you know, you've got to watch them the same way as an athlete would work. You have to work on this as like a content creator. It's a whole part of your business, it's a whole media machine that you've got to run. And Alex Ramosi is a good example of that in the last couple of years. He's just shown how much effort's got to go in. Obviously, you know better than I do how, how that works. I listened to Stephen Barlett earlier today and I was really fascinated in what he was talking about. He was talking about the concept of anchoring right, where the information that is taken in by people is taken in a different context, depending on who they are, what they say, you know, what they're known for. And it made me think of you, because I knew we were coming here today to talk to you. And I, I wanted to ask you, you've spoken before about the cost per acquisition, right? And obviously, 
the person with the more or bigger audience has more power of their audience and therefore the cost per acquisition is actually lower. It becomes more powerful, you mentioned a minute ago. How important is that anchor? You did touch on it a minute ago around your audience needs to be a certain type of person that follows you. But how do you how can you frame yourself to sell a product? If you're if you're starting out now and you want to, you know, in a year's time build an audience of whatever number, you want to, you know, frame yourself in a position that can sell something. Is there a way to do that? Or is it just build the audience first? Yeah, the, 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 the point there is you got to build the right audience. There's only one way. You can't do what you're saying. You can't frame yourself in a certain way. Mm. You can, but it won't really be successful. Ultimately, you can only build or frame yourself, your anchor, ultimately is your point of view. So... Anyone that has made it really big has a clear point of view to portray through their content. So you've got to do a lot of thinking around what's my strategy and that comes from your point of view. And what, by point of view, it's who you are, your upbringing, what you believe in, what you have opinions on. The more you can dig deep into that, the more it'll come out clear in the early days of being a creator. What you can't do is look at an Iman or an Alex or whoever mm. and say, I'm going to do that. He's making money videos of seven ways to do this. I'm going to do that. It's going to work for me. It won't. That's later in your journey. Your start has to be, you are literally talking about the stuff that's super relatable to a small group of people who are, again, who are exactly like you. So if you're an agency owner and you have 10 clients or whatever, you should be creating that content for other people just like you because you have the best point of view on that the most relatable, the most honest, the most raw. And those guys that are going to come follow that person can't get that from a big YouTuber or a big somebody else because they're too big now. So those people are inspirational. In the early days, you need to be more relatable. You do the relatable for enough to then flip to the rest of the stuff you see online because that's later in your journey. So when I'm advising someone from the early days to that point, so right now the creator I was actually talking about from the growth perspective actually is June, his name mm, is... Yeah. So he's a student. So when I spoke to him, he was doing general content. And I was like, you need to go all, I said the same conversation. I was like, you need to go all the way into being a student. Talk about revising, studying, procrastinating, the problems you face as a student. And that's what's clicked. Because so many of the kids in the world have the exact same problem. They're not studying. They're on their phone or they're on the this. They don't know how to study. We made a study guide and I've sold multiple um, six figures. Because literally it's a massive problem to solve and he's doing it through content and then through products. So that brings me around to the answer. If you create content on a certain thing and you actually have real value to add in that content because that's your thing, then yeah, of course, at the end of it, you can sell a product at any point in time. Um, so yeah, if you if you want to try to create a, like we had another creator named Steph. She's on TikTok. She she's dance. But then her real thing that she was actually good at, like her point of view, her actual thing is she's always been very good at applying makeup. So she's just starting makeup tutorial videos. And after doing that enough, now she's we just done a multiple 60 figure deal with Mac. She's got, I think, um, 2 million on Instagram, I think 2 million on TikTok. It's just that. So, but now what she'll be doing, which is going to fashion week and sitting on the front row, you can't do that. So like, you can't look at that. So I think, yeah, so I think for me, <laughs> ultimately if you just suck at making content and not going to get better at it then it's just hard but then you have to put the work in the reps in right to like learn and get good at it um 
That's why I believe anyone can do it because anyone has enough of different in themselves and their story that someone can relate to. Like Taylor Swift has only sang about breakups in the early days and that's what made her big. The weekend, the same. So it's like, if you think about what they sang about, it's literally their own point of view and what they went through, what they're going through and it's super relatable. Any artist, famous person that you really like, you know everything about them. So the more public you can be as a creator, the more, the more success you'll have. The more you're trying to paint this picture of I'm going to be this type of guy, make this sort of content in this way, because he's doing it, he's doing it, he's doing it, and that's going to work, it won't. I think that is so interesting because a lot of people will listen to this and be like, no, 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 I, I've positioned myself in this way. And actually you're cutting straight through that and going, no, that's so wrong. So let me give you a list of a few people that people will know that you've worked with, which is quite incredible, right? So you've got obviously Logan Paul, KSI, Iman Gadzi, Mike Thurston, Mike Morse, uh, Matt Morsia, Grace Beverly. If you were going to talk to them now, would you say to them, you need to be more relatable? Is that still what they're doing now? Or has that changed because they all got to a size where we can now change their 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 stage i guess they're at a different level no so no because i wouldn't say that to them because they've already done that mm. now they're massive inspirational figures now my honest conversation with them if it was be right now it would be we need to get more people seeing you so how do we do that like do we create more social media accounts do we do this like how can we get you and your message and your thing because the one thing is when you're already successful it means whatever you're doing works it already captures people. We've already done enough of this to know this. So if you're doing really well on YouTube, we've got to get that message somehow on other platforms because if you resonate with somebody, you're going to resonate with some, you will always resonate with people. So let's get you on more platforms, more there. So I'll be talking to them mainly about that and diversification of revenue and growing that way. It wouldn't be about what we just spoke about mm. because they've already done that to get this. So Grace Beverly, for 2017, 18, Three, it was three videos a week on YouTube for two years straight. Um, it was all about being a student. I'm at university, I'm this, I'm vlogging. And she was the only girl at that time that didn't give a shit about if the camera's down here, you can see my double chin uh. and whatever. When every other girl's trying to get the perfect angle and the perfect thing, she was, she was just being real. Three videos a week, being real, being there, being people's best friend through the camera. And um, that's it, right? So it's like, you just have to... Yeah, so they've, they've had the stages of being relatable. Mm. And I love that you've spoken. We've touched on it already. I won't spend too much time on it. But by giving them a business, it almost completely changes them. You don't see them as a creator or you know influencer anymore. You see them as, wow, Forbes 30 under 30 or, you know, Matt Morse is a great example. I'm, I'm, you know, he's launched so many businesses that you're now like, wow, you're now an entrepreneur. I don't anymore see you yeah, yeah. as that creator. Do you think that gives them a different depth People then take them more seriously or see them in a different light as well. Do you think that 100%. helps? No, no. I think the sooner you can launch a business as a creator, it just solidifies you. Because the moment you get customers, it's a different level of brand affinity, mm. different level of cultness, let's call it. And it massively helps. Mm. Massively helps. We've seen that with most of our creators that we worked with from the early days. I still work with like five, six years later. That that has brought people on in a different way. That's why people that don't monetize earlier that's the thing i think they miss out that they're waiting for the right time because as soon as you have customers with you you have some people that are gonna say you're amazing mm. to the other person will back you up will comment on your content because they've paid you um so yeah for me it's mm. the, the sooner you can move towards being an entrepreneur as a creator 
the better. And what do you think the biggest misconception is for people just starting out and thinking about putting content out there and growing an audience? What's the biggest misconception that stops them? Um, that how hard is it? And secondly, that you can't make money. Every platform must pays you. You literally just go turn monetization on. Like you can literally make TikTok videos, turn monetization on and make money. And it's not that hard to make money. So if you get 10,000 views, you can get, um, if you get 10,000 views a month on YouTube, you can get up to $500 a month. So you're telling me you can't make some, you can't make content that can get approximately 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 views a month. Again, going back to, do you believe in yourself? Can you challenge mm. yourself to do that? And just like you make an extra $2,000 per month. To be honest, that's why we've launched something which is um, not publicly launched yet called Creator College. And I'm literally, everything we've learned in the seven years, we've put it into something to teach small creators all of this stuff because people don't realize how easy it is to make money. So the biggest misconception is that it's going to go away. It's not a real thing. You can't make any money. It's too late. I can't make a YouTube channel now and be successful. Like all of that stuff. Mm. And the biggest misconception is that people still think launching a business without an audience is a smart thing to do. You will literally be giving all your money away to the ad platforms to get customers, or you'll be sitting and DMing every guy you ever find, trying to convert them, and that only take you so far. If you mm. put that same amount of time in just making content, people will just come to you. Um, so yeah. I think a lot of the people that you, you see out there that are sort of business gurus, they, they say one thing, do another. So they'll say the best way to launch a business is to create your product, you know, brand your business really nicely, get a website and then outreach everyone you've ever met. What they're actually doing though, when they're telling you that is building an audience, right? They're doing exactly what you're saying. And it's almost like they want to tell you something differently because it's maybe a, it's like a secret. It's obviously not a secret. People just don't understand the value behind it. I think, I think it's really interesting how candidly you've spoken about it and how actually people listening to this can do it straight away. There's nothing stopping you from literally starting a weekly vlog that's really raw like Grace Beverly did. You know, you don't look in your best light, but people will relate straight away. Look at Big Brother in the UK, or there was a program called The Family, or any vlog, really. People start out just filming themselves going to school or whatever. People will watch. People love that stuff. Gen Z spend six hours a day on their phone um, today in a social media app, six hours a day. Wow. Um, 73% of online purchases are made by recommendation through a creator. People search more, people find things to buy on social media now, not Google. When's the last time you searched something in Google and then went and bought it? Never. No. But you'll have seen something down to the holiday you want to book, to everything else through social. So it's already happening. As much as you, people don't want to agree or believe it or whatever, your life is massively dictated by the people who you watch on social media every single day. Those little circles on Instagram, they're, 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 they're driving your thoughts without you realizing. Mm. Hence why becoming one of them is so powerful. And we're still at the very beginning of it. I'll say this thing is probably could be the last thing we'll say. Mm. For me, when I like zoom out, it's very simple. What do you think, like, let's say our kids will do? Are they going to go to University of Bristol and study economics and get a job in Barclays or wherever? No, they're not going to want to do that because we were told that's the route to success, which really, if you take back the layers, is insane amount of debt. You'll finally get some job. And then you'll have to work through that job at a point to get, they could finally pay that debt off and then put a deposit down on a house. Like if you actually break down the success ladder that we were told growing up, it's completely false. And our kids, I don't think we'll be chasing that. People are going to be, you can actually now, by being a creator, you can make money doing what you love. That was not possible before. You couldn't actually 
start a podcast and talk about it and actually get good at it enough that you can make shitloads of money mm. from sponsors <laughs> and the rest of it, right? Like it's actually possible, which means the people that realize that and put the effort in, they'll get there. I just don't think our kids are going to be doing that. That's why I'm like such a believer in my business and what I do, because I know it's not a small thing. And if you're listening to this, you should do everything in your power to become one of those creators because they have all the attention. If you look at all the stats, more people watch YouTube on their television than TV channels. The YouTube app on the TV than mm-hmm. TV channels. So why would you not want to be one of those people? That's, that's the thing, right? If, if you do that in whatever way that you love, the best thing about it is right, you can choose who you want to, that person you don't need to be a doctor or a something, right? It was always so rigid, right? Growing up, like, there's like 15 jobs that you can study for. That's it. Like doctor, engineer, optician, whatever, whatever, right? But here you can be a uh, the biggest cat influencer in the world. I worked with the biggest slime influencer back in 2018. And we made slime for her. Wow. And that's like, you know what I mean? So you can, wherever your thing is, you can make content on that and then make money on the back of that. And that could be your life just like that. And that wasn't possible before. So I think, yeah, for anyone listening, make some content, change your life. Wow. I think we'll finish it on that. That's the best way to finish it. Sean, it was a fantastic uh, chat conversation with you. Thank you so much for coming. It's been incredible. Yeah, amazing. Thanks a lot.